Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Ever feel like an imposter in your own success story? That's exactly the experience co-founder and partner of Cardone Ventures, Natalie Dawson, intricately navigated. She transformed the so-called imposter syndrome into a secret weapon for success, thereby creating a compelling narrative of resilience and self-improvement. Navigating the challenging waters of a high-level leadership position at 23, falling in love with a man 25 years her senior, and rejecting the stereotype of the trophy wife, Natalie's journey is anything but conventional. She embodies an ethos of continuous learning and improvement with her favorite mantra, Google that shit. Encouraging her team to tackle the unfamiliar with relentless curiosity is a testament to her groundbreaking approach. As an Amazon bestselling author, Natalie offers in-depth insight into her successful methodology in her book, Teamwork. She shares wisdom on constructing efficient teams and embracing pressure as a privileged opportunity. Her take on mentorship is to keep queries specific and purposeful, rather than a vague, can I pick your brain? If you find your inner voice bombarding you with doubts, questioning your rightful position at the table, this powerful podcast will serve as an inspiring guide. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode including the best way to get in touch with Natalie. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. You have an amazing story, lots of experience, but what I love about your experiences are that they are accelerated, right? Um, we here at Beyond Barriers talk about helping individuals go further faster. And you certainly know something about, you know, the, the survival of the fastest. And so I would love for you to share with us um, and walk us through your career journey from your education at the London School of Economics to, you know, your role at the Cardone Ventures. Um, and really kind of what, are, what were some of the key moments or decisions that helped you find clarity in your chosen path. Beautiful. Well, I did everything wrong. Well, at least according <laughs> to my parents, um, initially they're on the same page now, but when I was in school, uh, mm -hmm. I had straight A's, I had an academic scholarship. I went to a school in Portland and then was able to attend the London school of economics. And I dropped out one semester before graduating because mm -hmm. I fell in love with a man who was 25 years older than me, who I worked for, which was the opposite of everything I was supposed to become. I was supposed to become a lawyer. I was supposed to do all of these things. And then I recognized that love is love. And yeah. I couldn't not love this person and build my life with him. And it's been a decade. So it all ended up working out. However, <laughs> um, you know, it was very scary at first to be a young woman married to, well, dating at the time, somebody who was in a position of leadership and it seemed like every traditional movie scene show of just like the young girl falls in love. And then, yes. so it's just like 
it, it was very hard for me to navigate that, to be honest with you. It was very challenging very early on in my career because I was smart. I was ambitious, but the fear was incredibly crippling that nobody would ever give me the credit that I was, that I deserved, right? Whatever that means. I, I didn't think I would ever get credit. Um, I thought that people would think that I was just, you know, a, a trophy wife who just like had a role in the business. Whereas I really knew myself and what I wanted to create and what I wanted to do and the leadership I wanted to build. And I didn't have the experience and in other educational realms and other realms that I had been in prior to making the decision to, to date my now husband, uh, I was like considered to be really smart. And so a lot of my journey really shifted very early on in my twenties to figure out, okay, why do I actually want to create an impact through the work that I do? Cause it couldn't have been just me sitting back and I guess becoming a shadow of what I always wanted to be. Uh, and so when I made the decision, I was probably 23 years old when I finally was just like, you know what, I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to stop thinking that just because everybody's going to think of me this way, that doesn't mean I actually am that person. So why don't I actually become the person that I want to become and that I always thought I was, would become right. And that came through reading a lot of books and mm-hmm. being told no, and actually getting a lot of criticism from team members when I would be put in a leadership role that just, you know, would make derogatory comments and and those types of things. But what I really recognized is I had this potential of what I always thought when I was 85 years old, I would have accomplished. And I couldn't not go forward in that path without like trying to make it work and figuring it out. Uh, and so around 23, I, I really just like leaned into me and adding skill sets to myself that would make me valuable. And for anybody who's struggling with how do you make yourself valuable, especially when you're young and you're ambitious. uh, For me, it was assessing my environment and saying, where does somebody not have a strength? And if you are young or whatever the thing is that makes you unique in the role, in the role, how can you amplify that? And instead of like hiding it, like I wanted to hide my age at the time. That was my natural Mm -hmm. inclination. I wanted to hide my age. I didn't want anybody to know that I was 23. And instead of hiding it, like, how can you lean into, man, I have the perspective of this younger generation. I can bring this different thing to the table that nobody else in the room can. And I shouldn't feel insecure about it. I should just become an expert. And that's what I tended to do. So I leaned into technology projects that would allow me to have that kind of vantage point Mm -hmm. that I could gain statistics in. And Mm -hmm. I recognize nobody else could do that in the room. So that was like my in and what allowed me to keep staying in was getting the stats in those areas. So actually executing, following through, doing what you're supposed to do, but nobody really wants to like tell you like, this is how you're, this is how you make it. This is how you impress people. You just kind of figure it out. Uh, And I made so many mistakes in that early Time frame, but it was because I had this commitment to where I wanted to go and who I wanted to be that allowed me to get out of that really uncomfortable, probably three-year period. What you just shared is so insightful in the sense there was several points that I want to point out, but you, first and foremost, there was a huge journey that you had to um, cross in terms of really identifying that internal validation opposed to the external validation. And so you shared a little bit, and I want to pull on that thread, that there was a lot of 
reading books, but the books I would challenge or want to ask you, was it more self-reflection or just, you know, having to internalize a lot of that for yourself in order to get over that hump and kind of shed this idea that you needed external validation or you needed to comply with the societal norms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it was a lot of figuring out. I had to ask really challenging and like not 23 year old questions at 23 because of this identity shift that I was having. And because I I did that so early today, I'm so bought into the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And I identify with people who I might, I'm a woman, but I like, I don't represent any other minority classes Mm -hmm. or I don't, I, I don't have certain perspectives that maybe I wish I could have. I just like, I, I am, I am who I am. Right. But I have this experience from choosing to date somebody that nobody wanted me to date. And that was seemingly the wrong decision where I can really identify and put myself in the position of people who are struggling to come out with something or to just be who they are. And I have a lot of respect for people who lean into being who they are in whatever instances that looks like for them. And it's because of that experience that, and I'm really grateful for having that experience because I might not have, I might not have known any other way. Mm. That is, that is really amazing. I want to talk a little bit about how you really doubled down, like you said, that unique value proposition, because that is something that so many of our uh, Beyond Barriers, you know, community members, when they're going through our program, we really push them to gain that clarity on what is your unique value proposition. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we undervalue some of those things that are come so naturally to us, right? And I think you pinpointed or really embraced this idea of, I have a perspective um, from a younger generation than most of these people don't have, and I need to lean into that. Mm-hmm. How did you How did you kind of formulate or how did you start to embrace that unique value proposition? And then how did you communicate that out? How did you articulate that out to those key stakeholders? Yeah. Well, I will never forget the moment I learned this. I was in a room that I probably didn't have any credibility to actually be in. I was, I had a seat at the table and it was because I was married to the owner of the business that that's why I was invited at 23 years old. I had zero experience to actually warrant my seat there. Mm-hmm. And at the kickoff of all corporate meetings, I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Everybody does these introductions and they kind of give like this short little story of all the things that they've done in their life. And I was at the end. And so I'm sitting there in just like a full blown sweat with my palms, just like clammy and (laughs) my heart racing. I'm not listening to anybody talk about who they are. Like I have no idea who's in the room. I'm just freaked out because at some point it's going to get to me and I'm going to have to explain myself. And I, my explanation can't be, well, you know, I'm 23 years old and I'm married to this guy. And that's why I'm here. It's like, wait, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And in about the 20 minutes that it took for like this, this hot potato to come to me, it's like, Natalie, you're here. Yes. This might be why you're invited, but what perspective do you have and how can, what perspective do you have and how can you add value? And when I recognized that I was in a room of old men that were all Mm -hmm. white, it's like, this is my perspective. I am I am a smart female who happens to also be young. 
And so I leaned into, in like my little story talking about, you know, some statistics that I had from like, and when I say statistics, like the, the accolades, the things that you say about, you know, London School of Economics, all those fun things. Um, But really what was my perspective there? And when I shared that, nobody questioned why I was in the room. And then it allowed me to be, it allowed me to have a thing to continue the conversation throughout Mm -hmm. the meetings. Like, well, what about this? And as soon as I had that revelation in that meeting, that's kind of when I just like, took that path moving forward because it's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. So your otherness became your superpower in that room. Mm -hmm. I love it. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. Now, throughout your career, you've held several leadership positions, right? Like director of organizational development, director of human resources and cultural integration. Have you, and you talked a little bit about some of those, right? Any fears or limiting beliefs in those roles or that industry or those companies that you worked at and how did you get over them? Oh my gosh. So many limiting fears, like all of the limiting fears. Um, My biggest fear was imposter syndrome and the way that I got over the imposter syndrome is I really didn't have a choice. And Mm -hmm. I think when you create that in your life where you do the thing that you've always wanted to do, you start the business or you ask for the raise or you move to a different role or you start at a new organization. When you do the thing that gives you imposter syndrome, you have to give yourself a little bit of grace because of course you're going to have imposter syndrome. You've never done this before. How would you know how to do something that you've never done before? We don't beat up on children when they don't know how to ride a bike. The very first time they get on a bike, the expectation is that you're bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried to be as graceful on myself as I possibly could during that period. I was really hard on myself and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing because that how hard I was on myself created this like motivation and this yeah. thirst to find the right resources for me to get better. So mm-hmm. when you scrape your knee, when you fall off the, the bike, it's like, okay, then you watch other people. How are they riding the bike and where's their body weight? And you start to pay attention because you just have this pain of, I don't want to keep scraping my knee. And so I, I try to tell people, it's not the worst thing to be hard on yourself. As long as you don't give up in being hard on yourself, because it's when you give up and you're halfway through that, then you don't actually get the result of the uncomfortable situation and that the transformation doesn't take place. But imposter syndrome still today, I mean, I, I'm responsible for 250 employees across a, um, a core business that we have called Cardinal Ventures. And I'm in a newer role as the president of a health business and, Every day there is something where I'm like, I've never had to make this decision before. I've never had this many people reporting to me before. I've never run a company doing over a hundred million dollars in revenue before. This is all brand new. Mm -hmm. So when I recognized that I had this exact same experience seven years ago Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be uncomfortable, but it forces me to, you know, read books in the evening and listen to podcasts and talk to people who have had these experiences because I'm uncomfortable. I keep scraping my knee and that's mm-hmm. totally fine to keep scraping your knee, but eventually you got to like ride the bike and, right. and you gotta figure out the movement. You can't just give up and go home and start crying because your knee's bleeding. 
Yes, that's a fantastic visual of, you know, when you first ride a bike, you're not expected to know how to ride it, but you keep practicing and you don't give up. And I love what you said. There's a fine line between, yes, having that imposter syndrome and having that, you know, that need to be successful drives you, but there's once you cross that line, it become unresor- It can become unresourceful, right? Or you can quit or any of those things. So there's that fine line where you have to kind of balance that out to kind of keep you moving forward. Um, can I pull on the thread that you um, shared where you said, and I love that you were so vulnerable in sharing that, huh, here's a decision that I've never made before, or here are some things I'm having to do that I've never done before. How do you, at the end of the day, find the answer or the solution to that question that you've never had to answer before? What is your immediate thought process or what do you start to do to say, okay, how do I solve this? Okay. I even have a sticker for this because I say this all the time. <laughs> like I, you want me to say something like really mind blowing yeah. and like shattering. And the reality is the sticker just says, Google that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Google that shit all the time. Most, and I work mostly with small to mid-sized business owners who are doing exactly what I'm doing. They're at a million dollars in revenue and they have the aspiration to create a $10 million business, but they've never run a $10 million business before. Most of this information exists. Now it might not just be Google. If I'm really trying to learn a skill, um, we have a, we've invested in a lot of partnerships. I'll give a specific example. We've invested a lot of relationships and partnerships. And there was a part of our balance sheet in our organization that I got on this meeting and did not understand what the differences were when we broke out these different elements of our balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Like I need to go back and research and better understand this in order to be able to come to the next meeting more well-equipped to make a decision. And so I bought a book that's like, accounting, like intermediate accounting for dummies, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I read the book to add value to myself to figure out how I can, you know, be able Mm -hmm. to solve the issue that's at hand. So it's those types of things where it's like, I either Google it or I find a book. I find somebody who's doing something really well and who's an expert Mm -hmm. because they have to exist in any area. There's somebody who's run a hundred million dollar business. There's somebody who's run a $5 million business. There's somebody who's led this project before. And I find them normally through a Google search. I buy a book, I buy a course, I consume the content and then I go to the next set of things that I don't know. And it's just the cycle that repeats itself. So always learning, right? So embracing this idea of like, you know, not, um, you know, always learning, not always knowing everything. And so the the superpower, again, is this power of learning and and um, embracing that idea of having a different perspective as well. Um, speaking of learning, um, given the, you know, this age of digital disruption, artificial intelligence, machine learning, the world of work is just changing constantly and almost faster than we can keep up. Um, How do you stay ahead of the curve in regards to being ready for the future of work, especially given that you are really accountable or responsible for, you know, the, the, the workplace and the people and the talent, um, you know, how have your experiences at your other in your other roles um, informed that approach, or what do you do differently to stay ahead? Yeah, I work with about a thousand businesses every month, mm-hmm. and so my ability to stay ahead, like I get hit with problems 
constantly from these business owners. And just because our business isn't experiencing this, it still is very eye-opening to understand some of the challenges that other businesses are. Maybe I don't perceive our business as having, having this problem because it's not in a department that I have direct insight mm-hmm. into. And so it's been really helpful for me to connect with these business owners and ask them, like we have live calls constantly and to ask them, you know, what problems are you running into? I like to call them people problems because most of the problems that businesses face, yes, technology has a a place in it. Yes, of course, there's, um, you know, supply challenges, um, supply chain logistic challenges, but normally it comes down to the people in a business and what's happening online, what what real trends and shifts are taking place that are impacting people inside mm-hmm. your organization. And that's where I just, I geek out on business owners, people problems. And how do you figure out, my challenge is always, how do I figure out more of a global solution that works here that then I can help other business owners implement inside their businesses? Mm. I love that. And I love how you said that you're constantly uh, thinking and forecasting even bigger, right? Not just for the problem that you're solving for, but how is this going to apply across industry um, globally, all of those types of things and pushing yourself to think and be more inclusive of other, other things that might impact it. Uh, that's so, so important. Now you wrote a book and it is one of Amazon's bestsellers, right? Teamwork. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little more about your book and the insights you gained from building highly engaged, aligned and you know high performance teams? What is the secret sauce that you have found? Yes. Well, I wrote this book because when I made that decision, when I was 23 years old, I didn't feel like there was a manual that actually helped me know how do I run a team. Mm. And I was a horrible leader for years because I was just figuring it out like most people do. You don't know how to run a team meeting. You don't know what you're supposed to say in an all-company meeting or how to do a one-on-one with a team member. And you're like, should I be somebody's friend or am I really stern? (laughs) And if I'm really stern, then they quit. So you just like, you waffle because it's, it's, it's hard to figure out without having some concrete structure. And so I wrote the book Teamwork because I wanted to give the business owners that we work with what we do that has worked for us. And I've hired about 300 team members over the last four years. And so a big challenge that a lot of business owners have really is finding great talent. And we went from a business that had no team members to now we have all of these team members. And I was never trained as a professional recruiter. And I was just like every other small business trying to fight for great talent. And so the book is all about like, where do you find people? How do you become the business owner or the leader that attracts great people and then can keep them? What structure do you put in place with one-on-ones? with quarterly team meetings, with daily team meetings? How do you give feedback? Uh, All of those things are covered in the book because again, I just really struggled knowing what worked and tried so many things as quickly as possible. And many of them were just trends or fads or things that I had heard from other people, but there was never really like a playbook of, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to put it together. Sometimes you just try one thing, but you didn't know that they also had these four other things that they were doing that helped make that one thing work. And I wanted to provide more of the holistic solution. Yes. I mean, uh, your the book is such an amazing resource. I mean, I would, I would really encourage and anybody, any manager, any individual contributor 
about to become or thinking about becoming a manager leader needs this book. There's so many amazing uh, insights in there. One of one of which I want to uh, double click on in terms of how do you give feedback and how do you receive feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of the women and BIPOC professionals we work with, don't get the feedback that they need because it's really hard for, you know, like you said, sometimes an old white male to give feedback to a younger female, to a woman of color, to a person of color. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of go through their career, not getting that feedback that will really help them grow. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give women and others that aren't getting the feedback that they really need to grow? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them to get over this hurdle of feedback is bad and I'm not going to ask for it. So I'd rather like, you know, um, you know, what I don't know won't hurt me when, when in reality it is hurting them. Yeah. What I tell myself is pressure is a privilege. And when I think about pressure being a privilege and somebody really, like I got a call from somebody I really respect this morning and they were just going to town on the four things that are incorrect and are ultimately my responsibility in this organization. And, you know, the first you're like, oh, I'm defensive and you don't want it. Uh, So, but that's what you're describing is the opposite where Mm -hmm. it's not like somebody's giving a bunch of feedback. There actually, there isn't feedback. And so they need to ask for it. And so if you could really get your mindset of, pressure is a privilege. And if I don't create the situation that puts me under pressure, mm-hmm. then how am I going to change? And how am I going to evolve? And how do I know what my blind spots are? And granted, the leader should be applying pressure regardless. Like that's not your fault as a, a team member that you like you didn't do something wrong to not have that person do that. From my standpoint, the leader is doing something wrong by not creating that space, but it's still incumbent on you because it's your life. It's your career. It's your blind spots that you need to know to say, okay, I can take the pressure and I will, I will create a situation where I feel like there's pressure because I'm not getting what I need out of this environment. And it's a good thing to feel this way. And if this is the thing that blows me out of this organization, this is a valuable skill that is transferable in any area of my life or any other organization that I shouldn't be scared of creating the pressure for the negative side, which could be, you know, problematic in this current role, because it's going to give me this skill that I need for my life. Mm. I love that. I love the pressure is a privilege. Um, And it's, it's, and you saying that it's, really the responsibility of the individual as well to be intentional on creating that environment of pressure to kind of help them level up. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is so important. Now, when we talk about community and and you probably have a lot of experience in this, there's the um, women and minorities will have a big community, lots of people surrounding them. Um, They will say, yes, I have a lot of support, et cetera. But what we have found is that women and minorities don't necessarily leverage their community in the right way, the way that the good old boys club um, will leverage their community. So women will shy away from asking for help because either one, um, there's an ick factor to it of, I don't want to use this person or use this relationship, or there's a, you know, um, I'm going to be a burden or they're going to think that I can't do this, right? They're going to think less of me. Mm-hmm. Um how have you leveraged your community and what advice would you give to individuals about the power of really leveraging your community to get ahead in your career? 
When I've leveraged my community, because I feel those same ways, I do struggle with not wanting somebody to think I'm a burden, also not wanting somebody to think less of me because I'm asking for help. Uh, but sometimes when like Googling that shit just doesn't work, doesn't work. <laughs> right? like there, you, you need to talk to somebody who's been there and who's experienced that. Um, I've done this in two ways. One, to not feel all of those ways, I will pay for the help. And I think when you pay for help, you remove those feelings of like, I'm a burden or I'm like, I'm not good enough yet Mm -hmm. because you're saying like, I take this seriously and investing in your career, investing in your skill set, you should take seriously. I should put money behind the thing that I know is going to get me to this next level. And oftentimes you might think that you don't need to pay for it, but you probably could pay for it. And it's a, it's a hack like that. It really has been a shortcut for me and my life is going to the workshop or going to the event or buying the course so that I have more proximity to the people who I know can give me answers. Um, but if I'm not going to pay for it and I know that there's somebody in my community that I want to make the ask to, mm-hmm. my best advice is making the questions as straightforward as possible. It's like, how, what am I actually looking for? How can I deduce all of these feelings that I likely have about my situation to these are the four questions that I have. This Mm -hmm. is the direction that I'm thinking of going, or maybe a couple of directions so that that person has kind of insight into where I'm going. And I try to respect their time as much as possible so that it's not, I I get people who ask me often like, Oh, let me just pick your brain. And as much as I love that and I want to help them, like I have a a million things I'm supposed to do. And so when people approach me in that way, I think of my mentors, I want to approach them in a way that really respects their time because they're going to want to spend more time with me and help me more in the future if I approach it the right way the first time. And you have something specific that you know you're asking them for opposed to just let me pick your brain. Um, I love that. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, as you as you yourself have a unique blend of operational and financial skill sets, how do you align employees to get them to think about how do they align their their skill sets or their unique value proposition to the business objectives, right? Because I think a lot of the times people lose sight of that and they, they get on this, you know, track that they're wanting to improve upon themselves or they set these goals, but the goals aren't necessarily aligned with the organization. And then they are at an impasse when they're not like their goals really are not seen as valuable. How do you, how do you help teams think in that way of aligning themselves to business objectives so that they can actually get good ROI. Mm -hmm. The visibility into the team members thinking is really important to me. And Mm -hmm. I can only get visibility if I'm first clear about what the target is. And Mm -hmm. I've first taken the step as a business owner of saying, this is across all of these business lines, what our target is for the quarter. This is what we did last quarter. So we run our small business like public companies run their businesses where we're sharing with them on a quarterly basis what's happening, where there is opportunity and what the priorities look like for the next uh, quarter. And mm-hmm. so when you take the global goal and you break it down to, okay, now there's teams that have goals and then there's team members who have goals within those teams, Having the 
the department head be really clear on, okay, how am I having a great conversation that's structured? If somebody is sharing with me that they have an idea, mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, I, I thought about this idea. This happened to me very recently. Somebody thought about this idea. They wanted to cut our costs by adding this printer that was going to save us $200,000 a year in printing costs. And instead of just throwing it out, like I have an idea, mm-hmm. giving the team member clarity on, okay, before we have ideas, a couple things. First, what is the monetary impact of those ideas? Mm-hmm. What is the team member impact of these ideas? Mm-hmm. How is this tied to your specific role inside this department to make this idea a success while still maintaining the role that you have? When you give team members frameworks around those things, yes. they start to flesh out their own ideas to come to the table with a really great conversation instead of, because it's kind of awkward, like, oh, here, here's this idea. And then the leader's like, no, it's a bad idea that doesn't fit strategically. <laughs> yes. They don't even know what questions to ask. And so to me, it's training the leader, but also giving the team a framework of this is how you propose ideas. This is what makes it for a great idea when you thought through these five different areas. Mm, I love the framework and that is so phenomenal. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually jot that down so that we can share it here in our organization. Okay. Um, one last question before we jump into the flash reports uh, or the flash, what we call our lightning round questions is um, what advice would you give young professionals who are looking to build a successful career and maybe pivot, right? Because a lot of individuals get into the, you know, what they thought they wanted to be when they grow up and then they start working and realize, no, I want to pivot. and Maybe I want to become an entrepreneur or maybe I want to go into um you know, management consulting or joint ventures or private equity in of that, what advice would you give individuals who are on this, maybe on the fence of pivoting in their career? Mm-hmm. I would recommend that they go all in on one thing for 12 months, and then they reassess at the 12 month mark. What mm-hmm. I find team members who are, or who are, challenged with maybe I'm going to go this direction, maybe I go that direction is they can start to create a trend of doing that where they'll just like, they'll dabble for a very long period of time. It's not just like, Oh, I tried that. It didn't work for these reasons, but I gave it a good shot. Now I'm going to try this specific thing. It's like, I'm going to dabble in this while I dabble in this. And then I'm going to look at this thing and kind of always be having this backup plan. People, when, when you become great at something, you love that thing because you're rewarded for being great. Mm-hmm. And most people who l- talk about loving their work, they probably actually early on hated what they did, but they became good at it because over a period of time, they were consistent. They didn't have backup options. Mm-hmm. They were just all in on the thing. And then society, right? Their coworkers, their yes. boss, their friends all rewarded them because of how good they became. And I, I really have always tried to coach uh, team members, even in our own organization who want to maybe move different departments. I'm like, I'm good with you making the move. Like we can make that happen. However, you need to stick with this for 12 months and you need to just be the most passionate, excited, like flamboyantly pumped person (laughs) on this department inside this team about your new role so that you start to get confidence and build this skill set inside this function. Mm -hmm. That is, that is so smart because you're right. 
if you're dabbling in all of these different things, you're not giving something 100% and you're really probably not experiencing the true um, value or the reward in that particular role. So I love what you just shared and thank you for sharing that. So we're going to shift gears and go to my favorite part. Um, I could talk to you forever because everything that you've shared has been so amazingly insightful. Um, But these are our lightning round questions, which are a little bit of fun, you know, questions to get to know you a little bit better. Um, So share with us what book has greatly influenced you? A book called Beyond Positive Thinking by Robert Anthony. Mm, I love that positive psychology piece. Mm -hmm. Um, what is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Success is my duty by Grant Cardone. I love it. Success is my duty. I love that book too. Um, I was going to say your quote is Google that shit. but (laughs) I feel like I can't quote myself though. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? Passionate. Yes. Totally, totally agree. It comes through, it comes through the video <laughs> through, through this call. Um, what is one change? What is a habit, a behavior, an action that you implemented that made your life better? Oh, can I share two? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I go to bed every night at 930. And I used to think that I was a night owl because I would only go to bed at like one or two in the morning. My whole life, I thought this until COVID hit. I was like, I'm going to take myself seriously. I'm going to wake up early in the morning, which means I need to go to bed early. So Uh instead of focusing on not waking up early, I started focusing on going to bed early and it has, it has changed everything about my life. So that's first one. Second one is I use an application every day for my emails called superhuman. And it is the only piece of technology that's changed my life. I love superhuman. It's emails. And that would be the other thing. Superhuman. I'm going to write that one down right now. I'm going to check that out. Thanks for sharing that. And then finally, my favorite question. So, okay, Natalie, you're used to getting on these stages with hundreds of people, you know, out in front of you. What is the power song that you want playing in the background when you go out on that stage? I love Peaches by Justin Bieber. <laughs> yes, I love that. To a lot of male audiences and I kind uh-huh. of make a Justin Bieber joke with the song every once in a while. And the, the men in the audience are just like so uncomfortable instantly <laughs> talking about being a believer. So, I love that. I was, that's going to be an amazing addition to our um, podcast guest playlist that we pull together all the time. So thank you so much, Natalie. It's been amazing having this conversation with you. I've learned so much in this short amount of time. And um, I know that our audience is going to reach out or want to get some more Natalieisms, like Google that shit and whatnot. Um, what's the best way for them to follow you? And also, what is the best way for them to get a hold of your book? Because it's so amazing. I would love to give them a free copy of teamwork. They can go to cardoventures.com forward slash teamwork and it'll come straight to their house. So that's com forward slash teamwork. And then on socials, I'm very active on social. I'm at Natalie Dawson on Instagram and then TikTok. I do a lot of fun team building stuff and just more behind the scenes there. And there I'm at the Natalie Dawson. Awesome. Well, 
I'm thrilled that you have joined us and given us this much of your time. And I look forward to continued partnerships. Um, everything you shared was so amazing. And I look forward to staying connected. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Awesome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.